0: I was just reading this judgment and and, and I want to start here, Kaya. So um, in part, uh, it goes on to say that the Constitutional Court, uh, of course, in upholding the High Court's findings, uh, found that the public protector had acted in bad faith and agreed that she had exceeded the bounds of her potential indemnification under the Public Protector Act. Now, surely that is serious. And this, of course, from the uh, majority judgment that was handed down. But what does this mean? What are the implications not only for the Office of the Public Protector, but for the Public Protector in her person and also, as uh, some of our uh, listeners have highlighted, for other Chapter 9 institutions potentially?
1: Yeah, I think for me there are particular dangers that are going to be set into motion by a judgment of this nature. And the key issue here, and I think it's what the Chief Justice tried to stress in his minority judgment, was the fact that when a person is litigation, litigating in their capacity as a representative of a particular office, then the expectation is that that office itself will bear the costs of the litigation, whichever way the litigation goes. What this does is that it simply says in this particular instance, we will look beyond the fact that she was acting in a representative capacity and then say she personally must pay part of these costs. Now, of course, that was based on the premise that her conduct was then regarded to have been in big faith, but what the distinction is here Is that in the future, anyone who wants to really hamstrung, well, paralyse the office of the public protector in particular, will simply say, "Look, we're going to take this on review, and in our papers, we're going to say that we believe that you acted negligently and you acted in bad faith, because of course now there is the standing law that says when you do act in bad faith, you must pay so personally." So I do think that the judgment will actually have much bigger long-term implications for the office of the public protector. I think for the incumbent herself, of course, this cannot be a good judgment. The court does agree with the findings of the higher court, which is to say, look, in some instances, her submissions were not particularly truthful. She didn't explain some of the things that she did, and then she did make some explanations. Some of them were found to be patently false. So I don't think that it sets her in a good stead with the continued incumbency of this office. It's going to be very difficult to see how she can maintain this office going forward.
0: (laughs) unpack that, because obviously that is a very, very serious um, uh, notion there, that the public protector could be peddling falsehoods uh, during the course of litigation. And, and, and the judgment went on to say that that included misrepresenting under oath uh, before the High Court that uh, the, the, the economic analysis which underpinned that final report was based on expert economic advice. So that's quite serious.
1: Yeah, these are definitely serious and damning uh, you know, passages that you see in this particular judgment. And I think the public protector in her personal capacity needs to reflect on how we ended up here. Because in most instances when you are dealing with matters that are as complicated as the whole APSA and Reserve Bank matter was you will obviously get representations from different sources and at the end of it all, her duty was to reconcile the different accounts and the different submissions and then say, this is what I'm doing, this is the recommendations that I'm putting forward. It all seemed to have gone wrong for her when she then started consulting with other people and then failing to disclose that these consultations were done. But beyond that, when she was then asked to justify why she was consulting those particular individuals, she then simply refused to provide an answer to that. So I think that really created this atmosphere that she hadn't told the full story. And in the absence of her telling the full story, the versions of the people that say she was acting maliciously had to stand, and her not defending herself properly properly in that particular issue is what has led us to this particular problem.
0: But if we go back to the minority Judgment, uh, which, by the way, was penned by uh, Chief Justice uh, Mughueng and concurred by Goliath AJ. So they are saying that um, the High Court judgment should have been set aside because not only, and I quote, uh, was no harm shown to exist, but the basic personal cost uh, definitional requirements of gross negligence and bad faith were not shown and uh, they were not met. Either, And goes on further to say that uh, the minority judgment held that it was ironic that the high court found it extremely reprehensible that the public protector did not know uh, what the high court said uh, she should have known when the high court itself did not know what she should have known.
1: Yeah, the the intellectual semantics, there were quite interesting to read. And I think what the Chief Justice, in his minority opinion, is trying to stress is that there must be a clear distinction between negligence and gross negligence. And in his view, it is only when a person is proved to be woefully grossly negligent that you can then justify a course order in this particular regard. And in the submissions that were made, he's of the view that the case wasn't made to say that this person was grossly negligent. He doesn't dispute that she was definitely negligent in the way she conducted herself, but he sets the the bar a bit higher. Which is to say, if you're going to go into this territory of saying that a representative litigant must start paying costs in their own um, in their own capacity, you then need to meet this higher standard of proving beyond any doubt and beyond any academic dispute that this person's conduct warranted such a cost order. In his view, that that hurdle was not met, and in that case, then the cost order should have been set aside. Now, of course, the way it has worked out is that he has been outvoted as it were because the majority judgment did feel that that had been met so we are stuck with the consequences of this judgment which you're going to have to live with not just for the public protector but for other chapter 9 institutions who essentially tend to find themselves in the same zone because what they seek to do is to defend democracy against particularly people in positions of power and if people in positions of power have got this additional ammunition to really say, well, you can target us, but if you do get it wrong, beware that we actually don't want to chase you personally. It does really set a slippery slope and may just lead to some people saying, actually, I will not take on particular cases unless I know it's a proper slam dunk. And that's not an ideal situation.
0: So just in conclusion, uh, uh, three quick things. Firstly... The nine, almost nine hundred thousand rand that this is going to cost, uh, advocate Busisiwe Mkwebane in her personal capacity. Where does this leave her going forward in that office, uh, given that we've seen more of her reports being taken on review? And then secondly, with regard to Parliament and uh, the National Assembly, what do they do now, given that there have already been calls uh, for her fitness to hold office, uh, to be probed? Um, so so maybe let me leave it. Uh, no, I want to put in the third question. And the third question is about the broader political uh, nuances at play here. And, 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 and that pertaining to, of course, uh, the investigations, again, uh, against uh, the president, against uh, Minister Praveen Gordhan, and how all of that comes into play within this context.
1: Look, I think, yeah, it's, uh, there's a, a, a lot of questions. I think, obviously, the fact that she has to pay the cost personally is so going to be something that really just creates particular tension within the office because now what you're going to see is that in any judgment or in any reports that she issues people are now going to have to ask the legitimate question of Have you made sure that in that particular instance, you haven't conducted yourself in the manner that you have said you have have conducted yourself previously? So perhaps that puts additional pressure internally for them to ensure that in their investigations, in their interaction with implicated parties and all of those particular issues, they are able to ensure that they get that ducks in a row. Perhaps that might be a good thing. It might lead to them being more thorough in their processes, we'll never know. So I think it does create a different way of them engaging with implicated parties in particular. So that's the answer to the first question. In the secondary question, of course, we do know that in the political climate where a lot of people have been calling for her removal, this will simply serve as just an additional arsenal for them to say, well, actually, it looks like the issues there are pervasive. If this was a once-off conversation, if it was a once-off judgment that went against her, a lot of people couldn't possibly justify that as a basis for saying that she must be removed. But unfortunately, if it's becoming such a recurring series of events where everybody who has a judgment against them coming from her office is saying that never mind the merits of the judgment, but the way in which you conducted yourself is the one that I have an issue with, that of course it doesn't set her in a good stead, And we know that in South African politics, Everybody's going to want to leverage the political capital that comes from the possibility of impeaching a public protector for the very first time. She can no longer avoid that particular possibility now. It's simply going to be a matter of who puts the motion forward and whether she can possibly still go to Parliament and find a way to defend herself in a way that people then say, look, these are just once off anomalies. You've now learned your lesson. We now know that you're going to conduct yourself. Properly going forward. So I do think that it's going to be a learning process, not just for her, but for the country at large.
0: Well, Kaya, thanks so much uh, for that analysis. Uh, Kaya Sitole, uh, political analyst, also social commentator and chartered accountant, speaking to us about the Constitutional Court judgment.